Well, again, welcome to The Crossing today. If this is your first time here, we just want to tell you we are especially glad to have you here. We believe God's doing some amazing things, and we want you to be a part of it. Well, let me go ahead and look in the camera welcome all those who are joining us, our Southeast campus, our microsites across the country, all of those who are joining us online. Can we just welcome them right now? Well, have you ever had something happen in your life and someone says to you, I understand what you're going through, but they don't. It's the time where you flunk the test and somebody comes up and you go, I understand how you feel. And you're like, how do you understand you're a straight-A student and the worst grade that you've ever gotten is a B? You don't understand. If you're a mom and you see a woman who is eight months pregnant, you know what that is like. You can empathize with her because you have been there before. Now, if I go up to her and say, you know, I have three kids, so I know exactly what you're about to go through. She's going to hit me, and rightfully so, because there is no way that I could understand. I might be able to understand what her husband is going through, but not her. I've counseled many couples through the years who were having struggles in their marriage, but it was after I had struggles in my marriage when I was younger that I was able to, to more fully understand what they were going through. It was after I lost my sister-in-law to cancer at 37 years old. And then not long after that, I lost my dad as we were launching the crossing. That I was able to understand loss and those who were going through loss at a deeper level because I had been there. Well, we're in the middle of this series that we're calling GOAT. And GOAT stands for the greatest of all time, that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And one of the reasons that he is the greatest is because he has been there. He has gone through what you're going through, and he understands. This series is based on the New Testament book of Hebrews, and the theme of Hebrews is simply this, is that Jesus is greater, so don't give up. That Jesus is greater, so don't give up. This letter was written to a church that was started outside of the city of Rome. And this church is now facing extreme persecution and death. The people in this church, they are Jewish Christians. They grew up Jewish. They grew up practicing all the Old Testament Jewish religious system. And then after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, this new church begins to emerge outside of Rome. And people are coming to Jesus. They are flocking to Jesus. But now their lives are becoming very difficult. Because as Christians they are facing persecution. They're losing their jobs, and they're losing their homes. They're losing their families. They're losing their lives. And they are ready to give up and go back to their old life because no one was trying to kill them when they were Jewish. Well, Jesus understands. Jesus understand, understood what that church was going through, and he understands what you are going through. And so we're going to pick this up, our series up in Hebrews chapter 4, and here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Now, we don't use this term, the high priest, we, we don't use that very often. But the high priest was part of the Jewish religious system, and the high priest was the person who represented the people to God. 
And the Hebrew writer explains a little bit more a few verses later of what the high priest does. It says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for their sins. The high priest is the mediator between God and the people. The high priest is the one who goes before God and pleads their case. So think of a defensive attorney. You know, if you get a speeding ticket and you decide to hire an attorney to represent you, the attorney will represent you before the judge. You don't even have to say anything. Matter of fact, they would prefer that you don't say anything because they are going to represent you before the judge. Now, the biggest job of the high priest happened on what was called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement happened once a year. Today, the Day of Atonement is called Yom Kippur. Yom means day, and Kippur means to cover or to hide. This is the day to cover or to hide over your sins. And this happened once a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a a part of the temple where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, as in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark, that one. And since only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, and he could only go in one time a year, they, they actually begin to think, well, what happens if he's in the presence of God and he dies right there? How do we get him out? And so they would tie a rope onto the ankle, I'm not making this up, onto the high priest, so that when he went in there, that if he died, they could pull him out. And so if he was still for a long time, you know, they would just kind of just yank on the rope a little bit, and he would kind of like yank back, you know, don't pull me out, I'm still alive in here. And the first thing that he would do is he would take the blood of a young bull, and he would sprinkle it on the ark. And then the high priest would take two goats, and he would kill one goat as a sacrifice, and the other goat was called the scapegoat. It's amazing imagery. And all the people would would come to the temple, and they would stand before the high priest. And the high priest, he would put his hands on the head of the goat, and he would do a mass confession for all the sins of the people. He would confess every unkind word. He would confess every form of stealing. He would confess every sexual sin, and he would transfer those sins onto the goat, all of those sins of the past year. A young man would then lead the goat into the wilderness to die, and he would come back, and he would announce to everybody, your sins are gone, that they would be atoned for for another year. But look at this. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest. See, Jesus isn't just any high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. So since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, hold firmly to the faith that we profess. See, Jesus came and he became the great high priest because he took all of your sins and my sins away. He became the scapegoat for you and for me. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it tells us that he became the source of eternal salvation for us. And so the Hebrew writer is saying, So hold firmly to your faith. Don't give up. I know that what you're going through is hard. I know that you're facing persecution, but don't give up. He goes on, and he writes, For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Well, there is a difference between sympathy and empathy. To sympathize with someone means that you care for them whatever they're going through. To empathize means that you understand because you have gone through that before, that you've experienced that feeling. See, I have always been able to sympathize with people who had loss in their life. But after I experienced loss in my life, I was able to empathize with them. I don't know what you're going through right now. But here's what I know is you're going through something. I know this is one of the things that I think about every week when we do church is that every single person who's walking in here is bringing something in here with them. That maybe it is a burden that they don't know what to do with. Maybe it's just they have some decisions. Maybe you have some decisions you don't know what the right answer is for you. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's an addiction. But what I know is that everybody who walks through the doors, that you have something going on in your life. And Jesus is not up in heaven going, what? Your Savior is saying, I know. I've been there before. I know what that feels like. It says that he's able to empathize with our weaknesses and not just our weaknesses, with the temptations that you face. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. That Jesus was tempted in every way. Jesus felt what you feel. Jesus faced what you face. Jesus experienced crushing temptation. Some of you have faced temptation and you have begged God, God, would you please just take it away? And Jesus says, I know what that's like. I don't know if I'm ever tempted to lose my Christianity more than when I drive. <laughs> when somebody, you know, cuts in front of me or honks at me, I can go from zero to ten, I mean like that. I can be listening to worship music, having a time with God, to then be yelling at this person who did something to me. A couple weeks ago, uh, Darla and I were driving around, and somebody honked at me, and I'm telling you, it was not my fault, it was their fault. And so I honked back, and then I decide I'm going to start following them. And Darla goes, what are you doing? You know, what are you going to do? You're following them. She said, just calm down. They probably go to the church. I said, I know, but I need to teach them something. Some of you, you hear the scripture, and your pushback is, how could Jesus really understand my temptations? Because he didn't live in 2019. He didn't deal with what I deal with. See, the methods of temptation change, but the model is the same. The root of every temptation is either pride, pleasure, or possessions. The stuff that you're dealing with, the temptations that keep creeping into your life, has its foundation of probably one of these things right here. It's pride. See, Pride is what keeps you from celebrating other people's successes. Pride is, is what keeps you from admitting your faults and showing your weaknesses. Pride is what causes you to feel good when other people fail. It's like, where did that come from? It came from pride. Pride is what causes you to elevate yourself 
over someone else. And maybe doing it by saying a certain thing to them or treating them in a certain way. That one of our temptations, the root of our temptations, it comes from pride. Second is pleasure. Pleasure is craving physical pleasure outside of God's design for you. For instance, God created sexual pleasure. God created that. But when you take it out of the context of God's plan to satisfy your own sinful desires, it becomes sin. See, it's, it's the root of this right here. This sin is the root of what causes us to cover up our pain with our addictions. That it's at the bottom that, that you believe that there is something inside of you that believe that if I do this, it will make me happy. It will bring me pleasure. It will kind of satisfy this part of my life. That it's pride, it's pleasure, or the third one is possessions. Now, let me just be clear. Possessions are not sinful. They are neutral. They are neither good nor bad. You'll hear some people say, well, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says that money, that, that what? That what? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is greed for what we do not have and the jealousy for someone else who has what we want. That this becomes a sin. See, these are the root, it's the foundation of our temptation. And it is these three foundations that became the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. So let me just call a timeout for a second, and we're just gonna pause on Hebrews chapter four. And let me take you to Matthew chapter four, the temptation of Jesus. Now, the context of this is Jesus has started his ministry, he's just been baptized, and he's being led out to the wilderness to be tempted. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Now, this word literally means that he was being thrown out, that he's being thrown into the wilderness to be tempted. He was being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. This is the temptation right here. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That Jesus takes the temptation that he's facing and he quotes scripture. We'll talk more about that this next week. But right here, this is a temptation of the flesh. Or as I titled it, a temptation of pleasure. See, eating obviously is not a sin. But Jesus recognized that the temptation was to use his divine power for a selfish physical desire. And then he quotes scripture to combat that temptation. Then here's the second temptation. Then the devil took him to, a, to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And said, if you are the son of God, jump off. This is the temptation. For the scriptures say, now he's going to quote scripture to Jesus, the devil is, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't um, even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must never, you must not test the Lord your God. That this right here, let me just kind of help you understand this right here, because as part of Jewish tradition, 
They believed that, that when the Messiah made himself known, that he would miraculously appear at the top of the temple. This is a temptation of pride. That he would immediately be recognized for who he was, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, and that everybody would know who he was. Well, again, he quotes Scripture. Then here's this third temptation. It says, Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If Satan has dominion over the kingdoms of the earth, then his claim is that I can give all of that to you, Jesus. I can give all of that. The temptation here is the temptation for more. It's what I titled just possessions, that you can possess all of these kingdoms, all of their glory, all of the things that they have, they can all be yours. See, here's what sin does. Sin promises pleasure, but it delivers pain. Every temptation you face, the sin is that if you do this, it will make you happy. You'll be satisfied. Everything will come together for you. But it delivers pain in your life. And Jesus faced temptations throughout his ministry. So for some of you, you're going, Shane, are you saying that Jesus was tempted to give in to his own sexual desires? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Are you saying that he was tempted to chase after money? Yes. Are you saying that he was tempted to elevate himself above everyone else? Yes. See, here's what's interesting about Jesus. He really was better than everyone else. He was God. He was the most important person who walked into every single room he came into. But he never used that for his advantage. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even the most humiliating and painful form of death, death on a cross. So the Hebrew writer says to us, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. And because of this, and because of this, here's what he says in verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That you can come before God with confidence. It doesn't say formality. Some of you have grown up thinking that you better approach God with formality. You better say and do the right thing or he's going to punish you or he's going to be mad at you. Formality is the enemy of intimacy. And because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, you can approach God with confidence. See, confidence comes when we know that we belong. You walk someplace, you walk into a room with confidence when you know that you belong there. Confidence is always a result of relationship. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, the Hebrew writer is speaking to you and to me. Because when we sin, there is this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. Some of you, you just brought that in with you today. Because of whatever sin is your life, you have this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. Guilt and shame always leads to hiding and to running. 
And instead of running from God, instead of hiding from God, you can boldly run towards God because he's been where you are. Jesus has faced what you faced. He's faced the same pressures and the temptations that you've had, and he has made a way for you. So what does all this mean to us? Or what, what's this mean for us? I just have two things. Two things, and here's the first one. That Jesus can empathize with any and every situation you face. You have situations in your life right now. Jesus can empathize with any and every situation you face. Have you ever spent the night dreading the events of the following day other than a test you didn't study for? For some of you, it was a court case or a deposition. For some of you, it was a trip to the hospital. For some of you, it was to see someone that you hadn't seen in a long time and you knew that they weren't delivering good news. Jesus knows what that is like, that your Savior spent the night knowing that the next day he would be put on trial, he would be beaten and crucified. See, for us, crucifixion is something that we, we watch on TV. For Jesus, he grew up as a boy in Palestine seeing crucifixions happen. He watched them happen. He knew what it was like, and he knew the next day that he would participate. And he was tempted to avoid the pain and the humiliation. See, Jesus knows what it is like to go to sleep and to try to sleep dreading what is to come the next day. Jesus experienced rejection and, and betrayal from his closest friends. See, some of you know what this is like. You married your best friend. And then several years later, you found out news that ripped your heart out. They betrayed you. Or you have a friend who is your best friend. They were the most trusted person in your life. And then they turned on you. They betrayed you. And you don't even know how to pray. Well, Jesus has been there. He's been there. Jesus watched as his closest friends ran away when he needed them most. And Jesus doesn't just sympathize with you. He empathizes with you because he knows what that feels like. One of the things that we talk about here, one of our core values, is that life change happens best in relationships. This is why Celebrate Recovery is so powerful. We have Celebrate Recovery every Monday at 6.30 on our campus. The reason it's so powerful, because if you have hurts and hang-ups and habits, you don't have to battle those on your own. You can come here where other people are battling those, that they've been there before. There is something powerful about that. Some of you need to come back here tomorrow night at 6.30. This is why we offer grief share and divorce care. There is something powerful about somebody walking through grief with you. Someone who has experienced their own loss and knows how to walk you through it. This is why we have divorce care. Because if you're going through a divorce... You may feel like there is no way out. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he was telling me about going through his divorce. He said, Shane, it was the hardest time I've ever had in my life. He goes, I just didn't know if I was going to make it. Every day I just got up, and he said, I just opened up my Bible and said, God, I just, I just need something from you. And I just prayed, God, you have got to bring me through this because I don't know if I can get through it on my own. 
See, there is something powerful about other people who have been where you are to walk through this with you and to be able to give you tools to walk through it in a healthy way. For some of you, the takeaway is you need to get plugged into one of these groups. See, that's the power of empathy. See, Jesus can empathize with any and every situation you face. Here's number two. Is that you can approach God just as you are. You can approach God just as you are. That maybe you grew up with a faith background where you felt like you had to to go through someone else to approach God. That you could never pray on your own because you were told that you weren't good enough or spiritual enough. See, this is what the Hebrew writer is talking about when he says that Jesus is the great high priest. Because the Jewish high priest only went into the Holy of Holies once a year. And as I told you before, in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence. And separating the Holy of Holies from the next chamber was a a curtain that was 18 inches thick. When Jesus died on the cross, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that that curtain was ripped in two from the top to the bottom, that God ripped it in two. And part of Good Friday represents access that you now have access to God. My kids have access to me because they're my kids. If I'm in a meeting and I I see on my caller ID, it's one of my kids, I'll step out of the meeting and I'll take their call because they're my kids. Now, I probably won't do that for you. If I see your name come up, I'm going to hit voicemail and I'll take care of it later. But I do that for my kids because they're my kids. They have access to me because of Jesus. You have access to God. You can approach God just as you are. You don't have to get your act all together first. You don't have to have all of the right words. You can approach God just as you are. And not because of you. Not because of what you have done. But because of what Jesus has done for you. So be confident. Be confident. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. To receive mercy. Some of you know what this is like. Maybe you did something. Maybe you were struggling somewhere. And you thought that you were going to get in trouble. You thought somebody was going to come in and yell at you. And instead they responded with mercy. Mercy says, I know, I know. Because of Jesus, you receive mercy and not justice. See, justice would mean that you pay for your sins. But Jesus comes along in mercy and he says, I know. That you receive mercy and you will find grace. See, grace in this context is the strength and the ability to endure. Sometimes God will deliver you from your situation. But every time, he promises to deliver you through your situation. See, there's times where God just delivers us from certain circumstances that we never even have to go through them. But every single time, God promises, I will deliver you through. I will be with you. I will walk with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so you have access to your heavenly Father. And you can approach your Heavenly Father with confidence. And maybe today, 
Maybe you need mercy and grace. Let me tell you, mercy and grace only come through a relationship with Jesus. It's when you surrender your life to Jesus that you receive mercy and you find grace. For some of you, you've been coming to church here for a long time, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you have a story. You have a story of why you haven't and why you can't. Let me tell you what is standing in the way. It is that decision standing in the way of you receiving mercy and finding grace to help you in your time of need. It's time. It's time to receive Jesus. He's paid the price. He has become the scapegoat for everything that you've done. And he wants a relationship with you. And so I want us just to pray together. And I just just want to ask you just to bow your heads. And we're going to pray together. But maybe you're ready to receive Jesus. You're ready to surrender your life to him. You can just say a prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm making you my Lord and my Savior. I'm asking that you would take away my sin. God, we thank you for Jesus who made a way. He made a way when there was no way for us. And God, the promise that we have as followers of Jesus is that we receive mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. And so, God, we come to you with confidence. We come knowing that you accept us, that you love us, you would never leave us. So, God, we give this all to you. And we pray this in the powerful, life-giving name of Jesus.